Please join me in turning to your, in your Bibles to 2 Kings chapter 12, 2 Kings chapter 12. In this chapter, uh, we continue uh, our consideration of the kings. Uh, we have uh, left the kings of the north, Jehu, most recently in the north, uh, who was used of God to bring judgment upon the house of Ahab and uh, Jezebel. And uh, then uh, we remember that uh, with Jehoshaphat, uh, his, his uh, son uh, reigned in his place, and uh, he was uh, killed. And then uh, we have uh, the, the reign of uh, uh, Athaliah, who was a wicked uh, queen and was not uh, of the lineage of David. And uh, mercifully, the Lord uh, preserved the, the line of David uh, by preserving the life of Joash. And uh, we read about that last week in chapter 11. We come tonight to chapter 12, where we continue uh, with the reign of Joash. And so uh, hear the word of God then as it comes to us in uh, 2 Kings chapter 12, verses 1 uh, through the end of the chapter. In the seventh year of Jehu, Jehoash began to reign, and he reigned 40 years in Jerusalem. His mother's name was Zibiah of Beersheba. Jehoash did what was right in the eyes of the Lord all his days because Jehoiada, the priest, instructed him. Nevertheless, the high places were not taken away. The people continued to sacrifice and make offerings on the high places. Jehoash said to the priests, All the money of the holy things that is brought into the house of the Lord the money for which each man is assessed and money from the assessment of persons and the money that a man's heart prompts him to bring into the house of the Lord, let the priest take each from his donor and let them repair the house wherever any need of repairs is discovered. But by the 23rd year of King Jehoash, the priest had made no repairs on the house. Therefore the king Jehoash summoned Jehoiada the priest and the other priests and said to them, Why are you not repairing the house? Now therefore take no more money from your donors, but hand it over for the repair of the house. And so the priests agreed that they should take no more money from the people and that they should not repair the house. Then Jehoiada the priest took a chest and bored a hole in the lid of it and set it beside the altar on the right side as one entered the house of the Lord. And the priests who guarded the threshold put, it, put in it all the money that was brought into the house of the Lord. And whenever they saw that there was much money in the chest, the king's secretary and the high priest came up, and they bagged and counted the money that was found in the house of the Lord. Then they would give the money that was weighed out into the hands of the workmen 
who had the oversight of the house of the Lord, and they paid it out to the carpenters and the builders who had worked on the house of the Lord, and to the masons and the stonecutters, as well as to buy timber and quarried stone for making repairs on the house of the Lord, and for any outlay of the repairs of the house. But they were not made for the house of the Lord, basins of silver, snuffers, bowls, trumpets, or any vessels of gold or of silver from the money that was brought into the house of the Lord. For that was given to the workmen who were repairing the house of the Lord with it. And they did not ask for an accounting from the men into whose hand they delivered the money to pay out to the workmen, for they dealt honestly. The money from the guilt offerings and the money from the sin offerings was not brought into the house of the Lord. It belonged to the priests. At that time, Hazael, the king of Syria, went up and fought against Gath and took it. And when Hazael set his face to go up against Jerusalem, Jehoash, king of Judah, took all the sacred gifts that Jehoshaphat and Jehoram and Ahaziah, his father, the kings of Judah, had dedicated, and his own sacred gifts, and all the gold that was found in the treasuries of the house of the Lord and of the king's house, and sent these to Hazael, king of Judah. Then Hazael went away from Jerusalem. Now the rest of the acts of Jehoash and all that he did, are they not written in the book of the chronicles of the kings of Judah? His servants arose and made a conspiracy and struck down Joash in the house of Milo on the way that goes down to Silla. It was Jezekar, the son of Shimeath, and Jehozabad, the son of Shomer, his servants, who struck him down so that he died. And they buried him with his fathers in the city of David, and Amaziah, his son, reigned in his place. So ends the reading of God's word. Let us pray. Our gracious God and heavenly Father, we give thanks to you for all that you have given to us in Christ Jesus our Lord and the revelation that you have given to us, both of the promises that you made to our forefathers, your faithfulness to them, and your sovereign purposes in all of the kings of Judah and Israel your faithfulness to your promises to Israel. Oh Lord, we ask that even as we read about King Joash and his reign, that we might learn those things that would be applicable to us, O oh God, that we also might trust in you, that we would serve you with our whole hearts. We ask, Father, your blessing upon this time. In Jesus' name, amen. I think uh, one of the things that stands out in this text that we've just read is that it is about the, not only the reign of Joash, but in particular, his reign as he was active in repairing uh, the house of the Lord. You might have noticed, even as we read, how often the phrase, the house of the Lord, was repeated throughout the chapter. It was one of the things about his reign that he paid particular attention to repairing that house. And we're going to see that uh, Joash's reign did not end well, 
while it had a promising beginning, it did not end well. Uh, he was assassinated. And we're going to see then um, that even in the hopes that were raised when he began his reign uh, and in some of the failings, the failings of uh, Joash, we see we, we are led then to one who is greater than Joash, who would be the redeemer of Israel. And so uh, the main idea, I think, from this chapter is that even in Israel's good kings, uh, they failed and they disappointed. Uh, and only in Jesus is the relationship between God and humanity made secure. That's what I want us to see. And so I'm going to cover this chapter under three headings. First, the promise of Joash. Secondly, the disappointment of Joash. And thirdly, the need for one greater than Joash. So first of all, let's consider the early promise of Joash. And we see this primarily in the first uh, 16 verses of chapter 12. Verses 1 through 3 of the chapter give to us a kind of uh, summation of Joash's reign. And I should say just from the beginning that um, it's something to notice that Joash's name is spelled differently in different places in this chapter. Um, his, it begins by spelling his name as you see it in verse 1. But later on in the chapter, you'll notice that it is spelled uh, in a shortened form. It is the same name, and the two are used interchangeably. So first we see then the early promise. We see that uh, the early promise of Joash's reign. He did what was right in the eyes of the Lord all his days because Jehoiada the priest instructed him. And uh, so uh, he's commended here because of the good that he did. And he did that good all the days that Jehoiada the high priest uh, instructed him. You remember he was raised as a young boy in the temple because he was kept hidden from Athaliah for six years. And uh, if you kind of read between the lines, you can think, okay, well, uh, he grew up as a young boy uh, in the temple precincts. He was, he was there. He saw everything close up. He probably ran and played. He uh, knew everything about the comings and the goings of the priests and uh, the way in which the temple had been neglected and uh, vandalized through the years. And so uh, he had it in his mind that he would repair that uh, structure. But the early promise of Joash then shows itself in a settled reign of a king of the lineage of David. And uh, that is a good thing. It is a good thing to have a God-honoring and a godly king, uh, even if he's very young and under the tutelage of Jehoiada, um, still uh, we are thank I'm sure that the godly in Israel and Judah were thankful for his uh, reign. After Athaliah's uh, wicked reign and her murderous 
uh, uh, killing of so many people, uh, they must have rejoiced when uh, Joash became king. Um, Ralph Davis says about this uh, that the mundane mercies are mercies nonetheless. If the Lord grants us civil order where we can lead a quiet and peaceful life, this is no less a boon for all its ordinariness. You think of the blessings of living under a government in which God, at least in some way, is esteemed and acknowledged and his word acknowledged. There's a blessing that comes with that because people are enabled to be ruled by laws and to live out their lives uh, peaceably and quietly and to go about their business. And that is something, no doubt, in Joash's reign that the godly in Judah were thankful for. And so they began to repair the temple. Uh, Time and vandalism had done its work. We're told in 2 Chronicles chapter 24, and um, I might uh, say that it might be a good idea if you uh, turn to 2 Chronicles chapter 24 and stick your finger or a marker in there. We might go go back there at different times tonight. Uh, We notice, for example, in 2 Chronicles 24-7, we're told that the sons of Athaliah had broken into the house of God and had used all the dedicated things of the house of the Lord for the Baals. And so under Athaliah's reign, Baal worship was promoted, and the things in the temple were stolen and taken out and used for the Baals. Uh, Also, just the natural uh, decay of the building meant that it needed to be repaired. And as I mentioned, Joash grew up in the temple, and no doubt he knew about the condition of the building itself. And so he commanded in verses 4 and following of uh, 2 Kings chapter 12, uh, Joash said to the priest that they were to gather the money uh, of the holy things that is brought into the house of the Lord, that they were to uh, gather that money. And Chronicles tells us that heralds went out into the cities of Judah and told the people to give for the repair of the house of the Lord, 2 Chronicles 24, verse 5. And so these monies were those given uh, from three categories of offerings that the people of God made. First, the money from the the census. Every uh, uh, year there was a census, there was a tax, and money from the census is spoken of. Money also that was given for the purpose of paying vows that people made to the Lord. And then any voluntary offerings that were made that a man's heart prompted him to bring into the house of the Lord. Verse 4. And so uh, Joash uh, instructs the priests to take this money and let them repair the house wherever wherever any need of repairs is uh, uh, needed. And uh, they were, uh, this, this money that was given in these uh, is, is more tax money or offerings that were people made. It was different from the money that was 
paid for the guilt offerings and sin offerings. That's mentioned in verse 16. Notice it says that the money from the guilt offerings and the money from the sin offering was not brought into the house of the Lord. It belonged to the priests. And so there seemed to be a distinction between those monies that were a result of taxes that were levied on the people of God, that, were, that, that money was to be collected and used for the repair of the physical temple, and the monies that were used, that were given uh, at the time of the sacrifice, sacrifices that were made, the guilt offerings, the sin offerings, that belonged to the priests. That was for the uh, priests to use for their, um, for their um, uh, living. And so similar, today we have, in the church, we have, we have uh, deacons, we have a deacons fund, we have uh, monies that are given for the upkeep of the physical building uh, that uh, God has given to our congregation. And there is other money that is used for the ministry of the Word of God. Those are two categories, and it seems to be that this uh, distinction was made even at this time. Money that was used for the support of the priests and money that was used for the uh, upkeep of the building. And so uh, some time goes by, 23 years. Uh, that's a long time of, of neglect. Uh, uh, Ralph Davis makes a quip, church work goes on slowly sometimes. And, and that is, uh, it, it, it does seem as though uh, it's a long period of time before they're called to account, but uh, the king does call them to account, and he says no repairs have been made. And therefore, uh, Joash comes with a different plan. The first plan was that these, uh, the priests were to gather this money, and they were to divide it between these two categories that I mentioned. Well, it seems as though uh, uh, the king realizes that there was some kind of a reluctance on the priest's part to, to part with the money that was to go to repair the building. And... Uh, 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 the commentator Kyle says the simple reason for giving up the first arrangement and introducing a new arrangement was that the first measure proved insufficient for the purpose. For the king had not assigned any definite amount for the repairing of the temple, but had left it to the priests to pay for the cost of repairs out of the money collected, one portion of which came to themselves according to the law and to provide for the expenses of worship. And it might easily happen that that money that was collected was paid out for the immediate necessities of worship and their own maintenance, and that nothing remained to pay for the building expenses. And so the priests, in this first attempt to repair the building, uh, it fails. Uh, the people who are implementing it, they don't implement it. They don't, let, they don't release those funds for the repair of the building, and a new plan is devised. And uh, the new plan, it, we're told about, uh, first, well, the priests are kind of taken off the job uh, in verses 7 and 8. Why are you not repairing the house? Now, therefore, take no more money from your donors, but hand it over to, for the repair of the house. And then verse 8, so the priests agreed that they should take no more money from the people and that they should not repair the house. And so 
Uh, they're relieved of their responsibilities. Uh, but it, a new way of collecting the money is set up, and we're told about that in verses 9 and following, where Jehoiada the priest took a chest and bored a hole in the lid of it. It's set beside the altar at the right side, and, uh, the, uh, and the priest who guarded the threshold put in it all the money that was brought into the house of the Lord. So it appears that there was a chest that was placed in a prominent place, and people came and gave money and placed it through the hole in the top of it. And then uh, whenever they saw that there was much money in the chest, notice here a change. It's not the, it's not the priest, the king's secretary, and the high priest, more than uh, one person involved in counting the money. That, that kind of rings familiar, doesn't it? Uh, so they, uh, uh, and it also kind of shows that the king realizes that the priests need some oversight in this. They you can't really trust them to do it uh, by themselves. And so the money that was, uh, is bagged, it's counted, and it was found in the house of the Lord. Then they would give that money, as, and as, as when they collected it, they would give it to the workers who had the oversight, and they paid the various uh, built the people who were doing the uh, work, the masons, the stone cutters, uh, verses 11 and 12, uh, uh, and uh, they used it to buy timber and to quarry stone and for all the uh, outlay for the repairs of the house. Now, it's interesting that in verse 14 we're told that none of this money was used or melted to be used, either the silver or the gold, for uh, those things that would be uh, related to the work of the priests. There were no, uh, that was not used for basins of silver, snuffers, bowls, trumpets, or any vessels of gold, verse 13, or of silver from the money that was brought into the house of the Lord. And so, again, it, it seems as though maybe in the prior way that it had been done, the priests had been using the mon money that was supposed to be used for the repairs on the house for other things, and maybe uh, here a distinction is made, and the money was not allowed to be used for the, this purpose. And also, uh, it's interesting to note that in verse 15 they say that it was, there was no accounting uh, of the men into whose hands they delivered the money. Uh, they didn't demand receipts. But it says that they dealt honestly uh, and that, that they were trusted. And in addition, we're told that the, uh, the guilt offerings and the sin offerings money was not also, that was kept separate, as we mentioned earlier. And so all of this work went on and the repairs were made uh, to uh, the temple. Um, we, we can see that the people gave joyfully. Uh, Second Chronicles goes into a little more detail in Second Chronicles 24.10. We read these words, And all the princes and all the people rejoiced and brought their tax and dropped it into the chest until it had finished. And so there was, uh, uh, the people were glad to give. And it's a reminder to us that that is the way that the Lord's work is to go on. It, uh, God's people freely give uh, to the work of, on the one hand, the ministry of the word, and on the other hand, the upkeep of, of uh, the church and the church buildings. 
And so they uh, had more than enough money, and when they collected all of it, we're told in 2 Chronicles 24, when they had finished, they did have enough money so that they were able to use it to make utensils that the priests needed. And so when things are done rightly and properly, uh, God's people respond willingly. And that's one of the lessons, I think, that we can learn from this passage. When uh, the work goes on honestly, when the money is carefully uh, used and wisely spent, uh, there is a willingness on the people of God to support the work of the Lord. Philip Ryken um, says that when it comes to um, church buildings, uh, there are two dangers uh, that we need to avoid. And the one is, he says, we, need, we can become obsessed with the building and mistake the building for the church. Um, and that, of course, is, is uh, 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 something you don't want to do. The church is not the building. The church is where God has granted us the ability to meet as a congregation. But the people of God are the church of God. And uh, we ought to be so much more uh, concerned with the spiritual well-being of the people of God, that the word of God is faithfully taught, that prayer uh, faithfully goes on, and that God's uh, word is honored, and that people hear the gospel. That is the primary work of the church. And uh, to be obsessed with with the, the, the building is, uh, it would be uh, one error to avoid. But on the other hand, Philip Ryken says, it is a mistake to think that it's unspiritual to spend money on the upkeep of a physical building. He says this, like all other gifts from God, a building should be received with thanksgiving, handled with care, and used for the glory of God. And that, I think, is a good balance. It is a good way for us to be reminded of the things that are important and how we ought to keep them in a certain perspective. And we see the willingness of the people of God in their giving. They gave gladly for the upkeep of the temple when things were done carefully. But then I want to consider, secondly, the disappointment of Joash's reign. The disappointment of Joash's reign. We're kind of, in verses 17 and following, we're, we're told uh, of, of, an, of an occurrence that uh, it's hard to, 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 to understand. It kind of hits us out of the blue. Um, verse 17, at that time, Hazel, king of Syria, went up and fought against Gath and took it. And then he set his face against Jerusalem. And so uh, Joash and Jerusalem are threatened with invasion by Hazael, king of Syria. And what does Joash do? Uh, this is, uh, you know, uh, all of the work that he did on the physical upkeep of the temple. Um, it's so ironic 
when we read that Joash took all the sacred gifts that Jehoshaphat, Jehoram, and Ahaziah, his fathers, the kings of Judah, had dedicated, and his own gifts, and all the gold and the treasuries of the house of the Lord. And he sent these to Hazael, king of Syria, and Hazael went away. He bought, he bought the peace of Jerusalem with money that belonged to the Lord. Peter Lightheart in his commentary says, uh, Joash plunders the very temple that he spent his reign repairing. And Philip Ryken comments, what had taken more than a decade to refurbish took only a few hours to desecrate. What a tragic thing. And so we see Joash beginning well, doing right, making repairs, honoring the worship of God in the temple. Remember, they're, they're, they had destroyed the, the, the Baal temple in the last chapter. So Baal worship has been suppressed. The worship of God is being honored. The priests are being supported. The temple is being repaired. All of that is good. And then suddenly we're hit with this news of what uh, he does, what Joash does, to purchase the peace of Jerusalem with the gold and the gifts of the temple. Well, we learn more about why that happened from Second, from uh, Second Chronicles chapter 24, verses 15 and 19. And I do invite you to um, turn in your Bibles there. We are told in Second Chronicles chapter 24, but Jehoiada, now remember Jehoiada is the man who had charge of uh, Joash when he was young. And Jehoiada grew old and full of days, and he died, and he was 130 years old. Think of it, the Lord kept him alive for 130 years, and you can kind of see why. He was 130 years old at the time of his death, and they buried him in the city of David among the kings because he had done good in Israel toward the house, toward God and his house. But now here's what we read. Now after the death of Jehoiada, the princes of Judah came and paid homage to the king, and then the king listened to them, and they abandoned the house of the Lord the God of their fathers, and served the Asherim and the idols. And wrath came upon Judah and Jerusalem for this guilt of theirs. Yet he sent prophets among them to bring them back to the Lord, and these testified against them, but they would not listen. And so uh, here we read that Joash apostatizes from the Lord after the death of Jehoiada. He listened to the princes of Judah. He reinstituted idol worship. And on top of that, we read, and we won't go into it tonight, but he murdered one of the prophets. Actually, uh, uh, Jehoiada's uh, son um, and uh, who was a prophet, he was killed by Joash. And so there, there was this 
uh, falling away in the latter part of his reign from the worship that was going on in the temple and the care that he took care for that in the early part of his reign, there was a falling away from that in the latter part of his reign. And so when he was young and when he was instructed and he was under the care of, uh, of uh, Jehoiada, uh, Joash remained faithful. It's a, uh, something for us to consider that when, and, and here I, I would address myself to all of us, but especially young people, if you are young, look up to and imitate the faith of those adults that are in your life, your parents primarily, your teachers that know the Lord. But don't rest complacently in the faith of your fathers and mothers and your elders or your brothers and sisters that are around you. Don't rest complacently in that, but seek a relationship with the Lord yourself. Ask God that he would make you really hear the word of God as it is taught to you in your home and in the church. And ask God that he would begin to awaken your heart to him, that you would bear fruit, the fruit of love and obedience to God, that is the fruit of a true and living faith. What happened with Joash is that as long as he was young and he was under the tutelage of Jehoiada, the high priest, he did well. When Jehoiada died, Joash fell away. I was uh, uh, looking at the Book of Church Order and what it says about believers' children. And this is what it says. Believers' children within the visible church are non-communing members under the care of the church. They are be, to be taught to love God and to obey and serve the Lord Jesus Christ. No doubt, Joash was taught to love God and to obey and serve Him. He was given the law and he promised to obey that law. He made a profession of faith. The Book of Church Order again. But when they are able to understand the gospel, they should be earnestly reminded that they are members of the church by birthright, and it is their duty and privilege personally, personally to accept Christ, to confess him before men, and to seek admission to the Lord's table. The problem with Joash is that as long as the supports were there around him, he relied on that. But when he was out on his own, that changed. And how often does that happen to children who are brought up in the church? And so I plead with you, if you are young and you are hearing this, Ask the Lord that you would have a true and living faith and that God would give you 
that faith that you see in the parents and that it would be real and true and take root in your own heart. That is one of the great lessons as we see what happened to Joash. Another thing I think that we see, and this thirdly, we see our need for one who is greater than Joash. You see that the unfaithfulness of Joash reminds us that there is no one who is good enough. There is no one who does good. No, not one. And of all of the kings of Israel and Judah, none of them met the standard that was given to them to reign in righteousness according to the word of God. And so this points us to our need for the Lord Jesus Christ, the one who is fully God and fully man, and who has in himself all that his people need. He is the God-man. When he came into the world, God made him a body from his mother. He is united to us in his humanity, but he is fully God. And he, unlike the kings of Judah, unlike the descendants of David, was fully faithful to the task that God the Father gave him. He fulfilled the covenant. He did the works that the Father gave him to do. He spoke the words that the Father gave him to speak. And he purchased a people at the cost of his own life as given as a sacrifice for sin so that he might deliver them from their sins. Isaiah says the deliverer will come from Zion and he will banish ungodliness from Jacob and this will be my covenant with them when I take away their sins. All of us have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. All of us left to ourselves would apostatize. But the one who is truly God and truly man is the only one who can secure you for all eternity. We are saved by him. From the very beginning, when we begin the Christian life, we are saved and we are kept by him and we will be kept by him safely all the way to the end. And here is something. Jesus does not plunder the temple to deliver his people from their enemy. Jesus is the temple. And out of the riches of the fullness of the Godhead that dwells in him bodily, he pours out upon his people the gifts of salvation, the gift of salvation, the gift of the forgiveness of our sins, the gift of righteousness that is an alien righteousness that is coming to us freely from Jesus Christ himself. And he gives us all that we need 
And he carries us safely all the way. He saves us, as the writer of Hebrews said, to the uttermost, all the way to the end. And so it is upon Jesus Christ, who is the rock of ages. It is upon him. He's the one that stands behind, remember, the promise that was made to David. Your reign will be established forever. It is Jesus Christ to whom we are pointed as we see the apostasy of Joash. We see that that plays out in Joash's death when he is assassinated by uh, those who were his servants. And uh, the Lord Jesus Christ is the one who was, uh, who died on the cross for our sins, was buried, but the Lord raised him up and he is the savior of his people. Put your hope and your faith and your trust in him tonight. Let us pray. Our gracious God and heavenly father, we do thank you that you have given to us a king. And we thank you that uh, he is the one who has conquered all of our enemies and that he is the one who bestows salvation upon his people. And so, Lord, we ask that you would grant to us a saving faith, that we would place all of our trust and all of our hope in him. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. As a closing hymn tonight, let's stand together and sing hymn number 